0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Henry Weston's Old Mate the Podcast. I've got something a little bit different today. It's a bit of golf and it's a bit of book talk. I am joined by Crispin Aldrin, author of Tales from Russet Grange and anyone who follows my Twitter account will know probably of Crispin and his Twitter account at Russet Grange. Before we get over and meet Crispin, please just like, rate and review us. We don't we don't try and make money off this podcast, but what my analytics have suggested is that about 50% of you good people who are listening aren't hitting that subscribe button. It doesn't cost you anything to subscribe, and it might help get us out there a little bit more. That is all my wittering. Crispin Aldrin, thank you so much for coming along and being volunteering to be a guest on this wonderful little podcast. How are you doing? Uh,
1: very very well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. A uh, little bit under the weather at the moment, but I'll, I'll get there. Um, but, yeah, nice to be invited to do something a bit different. It uh, all helps to promote the book, I guess.
0: Well, that's that's what it's, it, it's about. And we're going to talk a bit of everything. We're going to start with some book talk. And I do want to promote the book because although I haven't finished the book, you very kindly sent me a copy. We won't put this out as a video, but I'm currently showing the book. Tales from Russick Grange. So what I want to know is, I think... Every Maybe not everyone, but I think a lot of people probably think the idea of writing a book is a wonderful thing and we could all think of things we'd like to write books on, but not many of us actually get out there and do it. So, Crispin, you decided to write a book. What drove you or what inspired you to write a book, a book based on a an imaginary golf club called Russet Grange? What's the inspiration? What's the thinking behind it, sir?
1: Well, um, a few years working at various golf clubs, I've worked in sales and marketing and a bit of management um, and uh, a number of years as a member of a golf club as well. Um, and I know quite a few people in the industry and I've always felt there was a book in there somewhere and um, conversations over however many years. Someone's always said, oh, they should write a book about it. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, I probably could write a book about golf clubs. Um, I think one of the things that really inspired me to do so is that there's no competition out there. If you look for fictional golf, golf, you know, uh, books about fictional golf clubs and golf fictional members, you won't find anything. Um, There was the amateurs um, book. I can't remember who wrote that, but that's quite popular. Um, But there's no books about fictional golf clubs, yet there are two and a half, three million people that play golf in the UK. So I thought potentially I've got a large-ish audience and no competition. Um, I had time to write it. Um, I wrote it down. It, it, I started writing it just before before COVID. I wrote the introduction, um, ran it past a couple of people, good friends of mine, who regarded it as quite poetic. And that was so that was quite inspiring. And I thought, well, I'll track a couple of chapters down. I didn't feel I could ever write in it kind of a book from start to finish of just one long story. I didn't think I could ever write Harry Potter. I wouldn't know how to write. 100,000 words and it all, all connects. But I thought well, what I probably can do is write lots of little tales, lots of little chapters of the kind of things that might happen uh, at golf clubs. It's very exaggerated. Um, none of the characters are anyone I know. None of the um, chapters are based on actual events that happened. But it's certainly the case that I've been influenced by a few people I know. And I know what programs are like. I know what meetings could be like. I know that someone can accidentally book in a wake in a wedding on exactly the same day. Um, I know there's a guy who always wants to sell a few dodgy tightness out the back of his Nissan Jukes. So I just kind of expanded on it and went a bit big and churned uh, and out 32, 34 chapters over a, took a couple of years, um, partly because Covid, because all the pubs closed. And I, one thing I absolutely found and a friend of mine once told me that you, when you're writing, you, you tend to be at only write in one place um I couldn't sit at home and write chapters I needed to go down the pub and just get my laptop out and just think what shall I write about today and then turned out 1500 to 2000 words just about a silly subject portable toilets on the golf course yeah um so yeah I needed to be in the right place and because of COVID and because the pub's shut it kind of it drew to a bit of a, a halt for a while um yeah. but then I got back to it and I found I was able to Kind of sit down and write and turn out one chapter after the other. It didn't take very long to write. It took a hell of a long time to edit and bring into something that I was prepared to then put into print and show people. Um, yeah. So that, that that's where we are. And
0: there, so how how when did you publish? When did it go on sale, so to speak, Crispin?
1: I think about, I think my first ones went out about a year ago, probably um, a few people at a club just given me cash for a copy of it and um, people ordered a few copies i've only shifted about 100 so far i guess that's the first edition gone yeah. um, But i haven't really done any effort on marketing the thing i wanted to know that people quite liked it and that wasn't upsetting anyone um i made it quite clear it is very very laddish and there's no question about it it's and, that, and you've seen the silly quotes in front of the in the front of the book where my um son's girlfriend refers to it as sexist drivel which i just think is hilarious <laughs> um, uh, and she's right it is sexist dribble but equally a lot of people that have read it have really really enjoyed it and I don't you know people know what they're getting if they go to the website if they if if, if they if they see the notes on the back cover or to have a flick through it they'll they'll know what it's about no one's buying tales from a classic range and thinking oh my god that's not what I was expecting so um, yeah. it is what it is on the, on the 10 as it, as it says as we say
0: I mean I will I, I will I will highlight a couple of chapters just to give the people listening a an overview of what to expect, and ask you to potentially talk me through them. But before that, Crispin, and um, you say you you found inspiration in the pub, uh, and I don't uh, what, be it uh, is was so you didn't experience writer's block as such. You just found somewhere you were comfortable with, and. I guess I have wrote blogs in the past. This podcast basically started out as a blog and I got a bit fed up with writing, although I've always enjoyed writing. I find this easier, if you will, and probably reach a bigger audience, even though it's relatively small. Um, How do you, so, so you sit down, you sit down in this pub, maybe a favorite pub and you come up, let's use portable toilets as an example. Um, so portable toilet. You you've played golf. You've experienced golf courses, as you've said, and you just the, the thought being right. Um, two thousand words. Uh, you know everything starts as a tale of in in russet grain. So a tale of portable toilets, and then what's the right what's the writing thinking behind that? Do you have you got your portable toilet at the beginning, and then let's say for example at the end the Wind blows the portable toilet over. Do you have to start and the end and then you fill in, or do you do you write your way to the end and it develops en route? I I don't I'm not a storyteller, so I I I just podcast, I have general notes in front of me. But how do you how do you work on the writing front?
1: Um, well that particular example, I think I probably thought of the title first of that chapter. It's called Portaloo Waterloo. Um and um I decided that the ladies probably are not, ladies are never happy with the toilet facilities out on a golf course for various reasons. So <laughs> I think there was a ladies, there was a ladies' committee meeting, they decided that they wanted all the toilets to be unisex rather than just having one on the back of the ninth green or whatever. Um, so they all agreed on this, they all had a good old vote and they have nice signs put up that said unisex toilets. Um, but then the first day that I think the unisex toilets were available, and I just started writing, I decided I know what it was that. A bunch of lads had been out on a curry the night before um group of group of like twenty twenty lads and then behind him was the ladies' captain or whatever. Um and it just kind of proceeded from there. They'd all had a hell of a lot of beers, they'd all had a hell of a lot of curries and you ended up with this um situation whereby the bogs were getting worse and worse and worse and people were choosing the least bad one to use and it just it escalated and they all became utterly disgusting. And then and then there was a point when the first of the ladies used it and and, and it becomes an absolute disaster there's Stuff flooding out, one of them blows over in the breeze. I think it's just, I just paint this picture of a horrible, horrible mess. And then the, at the next ladies' meeting, they decide they like their own toilets after all, nowhere near near the blokes. But th- I think that chapter just stemmed from this idea of Portal Waterloo, Waterloo and a complete disaster after a curry night. Um, but I think all the chapters I just thought. I think i probably said to myself well there needs to be a program one there needs to be a gold society one and there needs to be one where someone books a an waking and a wedding in the same day i'm just going to refer myself here to what other ones i've just got the book in front of me yeah um chapter oh, th- yeah the,
0: chapter 31 is of interest to me for my profession yeah yeah so
1: man, a tale of a man who knows more about greek hymn in the Dreamkeepers do. today <laughs> I, that's a classic example that <laughs> everyone knows more about greenkeeping the greenkeepers everyone knows more about running a golf club than the managers do you've got 700 managers at every golf club so I think I picked up on that on, on fairly early you've got a guy one where there's people moaning about the um, the, 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 the price of beer and chips as a new member comes along who no no one's in you've got the girl in the office who's absolutely not interested in any way shape or form of um, new members they just interrupt the day as far as she's concerned she's paid to just be on Facebook all day. Um, and if and, and someone inconvenienced there, by wanting to be a member, she'll point them to the clubhouse or the or the pro shop or whatever. Um, there's comedy night that goes horribly wrong because the message is not got across. But just browsing through, oh yes, Sky Sports. Every golf club, after people want Sky Sports, half of them don't. So there's usually someone with a dodgy stick, um, <laughs> memory sticks are for forty quid, and then the club gets fined ten thousand quid for a bit of dodgy. I may have,
0: um, being, I may have experienced being, that
1: in actual real life. Yeah, yeah, half of them want it, half of them don't. Um, so, yeah, I think all of these, oh, the are Belgian, visiting Belf, the Belgian society visiting from Ipswich, that was one I just, I thought there's gotta be a golf society because they're always happy, you see. Golf societies turn out they're on a big old jolly, they're on a day out, they're on a bus, they're having a right old laugh. Um, so there was a, so in answer to your question, I think I decided what I wanted the subject to be, then just sat down and wrote it. It wasn't a case of this is how it starts and this is how it ends. Yeah. Um it just kind of flowed. that's not to say I didn't go back and edit, and I would have edited quite heavily, but i it's certainly I never said this is how this is how I'm going to begin this is going to be the end of the chapter. I just need to fill the middle bit with two thousand words. I just sort of yeah. sat and wrote some chapters are longer than others, and I definitely felt I improved as i wrote and 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 as you all have seen at the front of the chapters, I've kind of given them all a rating from, from yeah. best to worst. and I, and I suspect if I were to look back um. And look at and compare the ones I wrote first to the ones I wrote last. I probably do rate the, the later chapters higher. I certainly got in the swing of things, and perhaps that's just natural because, as I say, it's the only book I've ever written. And I kind of got an idea as I was going along of how I wanted to write it, and it did certainly um evolve. Um, yeah, just looking at this an alcohol, alcoholic and an Australian, everyone's got a um and I, I thought the the irony was the australian guy was teetotal um, um
0: i've i've experienced australians i've I've spent time in australia i have experienced australians on golf courses and i was amazed that i did two ski seasons in the french alps to find that everyone working behind a bar was an australian in the french yeah. alps they they're, they're yeah. everywhere in, they are in everywhere way. But, um Crispin um I what I was also wanted to ask you and a golf you you have a you have a an experience within golf having worked within golf clubs and you said to me before we went before we hit record you haven't actually played all that much golf yourself but I would people might suggest that picking something like a a golf club with a membership gives you quite a diverse, oh, um, you know, a different, a load of different people. You've got men and women. You've got young men, young women. You've got the junior section, the the senior section within the men's. If you're certain golf clubs will have, if they've got a huge, a large amount of lady members, they will be, have senior ladies and hopefully junior ladies and something in between. So, I I look at it and think a golf club is a wonderful. I, I mean I keep saying it. I from what I've read I I find it hilarious and having been around golf clubs for sort of best part of twenty four years, a lot of it resonates with me. But did you did you struggle for any content because you wrote you know you wrote thirty four chapters. The, the chapter thirty four, a tale of kindly men. And um, was there. Is there potentially more? Because I would have thought a lot of people might listen to this and think 34 chapters, there's probably more to come. I don't know. How did you feel when you got to the end of it? Is there is there still plenty of good content lying on the cutting room floor from a golf club perspective? Or do you think do you think you probably got it about one book is about right?
1: Um that's a, 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 that's a good question. I think I probably could write another book. Um, my brother says that every single chapter is the same. and He's not far wrong. That it's just people fighting and drinking and arguing about Minutai. Um, but that's uh, golf. That's golf but, clubs. But I don't mind that. He's, he he said it's a book for sitting on the toilet. So you read five minutes and then that's it. Then you're done for the day. It's not a book you read from cover to cover because every single chapter is really identical. <laughs> um I'm doing myself down a little bit now, though. Of course, they're not, but it it is certainly the case that there's a common theme of just stupidity and sexism throughout. Um, Yes, I think I could probably write another one if I were in a position whereby this one had sold well. Then certainly, I mean, obviously, the dream is to get a publisher involved, but I haven't yet even gone along that 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 route. I may may well do. I put no effort into marketing really, Um, but I thought my what what I thought might be quite funny and something I might well still do is write um tales from russet Glen, the scottish version and make the book exactly identical but put a muck in front of everyone's name um just so when someone's on the website they can choose if they want the scottish version or not um well, just you, because that's it's silly and i wouldn't to have to write anything more and i could say it's the second book in the series um
0: well we always have to that I, I i joke when I do content that I often joke that we have to thank the Scots for Golf and Greenkeeping uh, and we'd be nowhere without them but um, uh, Crispin you, I just want to go back to a point you made you've said, not in a negative way but you said you haven't done anything got marketing wise, publish publisher wise, so to me, book one, Tales from Rustic Grange, it seems very much a labour of, of love, it's something that You didn't, you know, you you haven't set out to write this because you want it to make millions of pounds. You've said you've had the time, and I would assume getting it all to print has has been financed by yourself, So, um, which is a a luxury. And I, for one, having started it and I will finish it, I'm I'm very thankful that you've been able to do it. But um, like you say, going forward is... So, so I mean, for me, I would say to anyone listening to this, women, go on the website wherever it's available and order your copy. And you know, it's if if you have an interest in golf and you are a member, you will absolutely love it. There's some things that you might disagree with, and the angle that Crispin writes from, as he said, it is very sexist. So possibly a, a lady member might not be amused by by a lot of the chapters, and that's the way it goes. But I, that's. You've said it a couple of times already, Crispin, that you've been very open and honest and anyone who picks this book up, you want them to know exactly what they're getting into. And you've explained that so far in this podcast. And I don't think there's any harm in that. You know, that's what you wanted to do. And that will appeal. That will appeal to a large amount of people and the people who doesn't appeal to probably won't buy it. And if they do buy it and read one chapter, they might put it down and never pick it up again. Um, Let's move on a little bit, because golf clubs, you've worked in them and you've played a bit of golf yourself. I I don't want to get us into trouble, and I, I'm employed by a golf club, so I'm certainly not going to be too negative. But I think, we said it again prior to hitting the chord, golf clubs nowadays are, are a little bit more welcoming, I think, Crispin, but you referred back to the eighties, probably when golf became a thing in the UK, more of a thing in the UK and probably uh, working, working class men could start becoming golf club members, but the, it was more an upper class thing realistically. And I think a lot of the things you've touched on in this book are still a, a reasonable reflection of a lot of golf courses out there. Um, would you say I'm being unfair or, or would where would you sit if I said that to you that I still believe that a lot of things in your book are probably still going on at a lot of golf clubs around the country?
1: I, yes, I think golf clubs have taken huge strides in being um, inclusive and welcoming and not the places whereby if you're not a member, you're not even allowed anywhere near the premises. But. Um, I was just a child back in the 70s and 80s, but it was certainly the case then that, and I, th- I think an important thing is that back in the heyday of golf clubs where it really was um, the kind of the, the kind of reputation they um, had for themselves in those days, it, just being a member of the club was enough for a lot of people. The fact that if you were a businessman and you were a member of the local exclusive golf club, that was good enough for you. You, you'd meet people, you'd have lunches up there, you might play a game of golf every week or so, but it was a place where just being a member um, was was enough. And they thankfully have moved away from that now. Anyone will go along to a, a, a golf club and, and they, they need members. It, it's a, certainly the the, the case. Um, a few local clubs are, 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 are full now and I think some clubs are doing are doing pretty well, but they are moving away from this idea that if you're not a 50-year-old straight white man you who uh, was a captain of industry or the local bank manager, you don't get in. Um, and that's absolutely right. Of course it is. Uh, no, no, no question about that. But it's taking a very, very long time to get rid of that image. And every golf club you'll see will have a sign outside open for coffees. Members welcome. Uh, visitors welcome. You know, come in and join us for lunch, breakfast, Sunday, car reels, whatever. Um, but it's taking the time. It's taken the time. And I think perhaps there are people at golf clubs who still yearn for the heydays of the 1970s or 80s when they were like they were. Um, And you could charge... I think because so few people were playing golf, um, you didn't have this idea that people were... It wasn't difficult to get a tee time. There weren't even tee times. You could just rock up and you and your mates, the, the 20 of you that always played on a Thursday morning, would just stroll out and be able to... To, to, to play your game and some of the members, I think there's, there's somewhere someone I mentioned in the book who actually only played nine times in 10 years or something, um, making the point that this guy was happy enough just to be a member. They reckon his bar spend on average was a thousand pound a week and he, he paid at least a thousand pound per round as well. Um, so yes, the, the traditional image is gradually being moved away from, it's taking a long, long time. Um, but there are still those that yearn for the days when it like, was was like it was, um, and with so. And if you only had a few people playing golf, there weren't the demands on the tee times. There weren't the demands on the golf course, and then those people were perhaps the ones who resisted this whole idea of tee times that all of us saw brought in at many many golf clubs. They didn't. They wanted. It didn't feel like it was their golf club if you couldn't just turn up and play golf when you wanted. I think that's a a big change, and I've touched on the tee times debate in in, in the book um or in a very very light-hearted way again because it's it's what we do but the tea times thing and in, in, in encoded that forced a lot of golf clubs to have tea times was a it was quite a bit a, 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 bit, a big moment really i think um and i know from my experience that people that were veh- vehemently against tea times once they'd experienced it they really didn't mind it at all they thought it worked really quite well um so that's quite a, a, a serious uh, outcome of of um of, of COVID and it's only the case that people that there were many, many golf club members who really did not want tee times because of how golf used to be. Would you agree with that? I, 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 I think you, from what I've
0: experienced, where, where I work, where I'm employed. So I have to be a little bit careful, but I see, I see the, the conflict between so many groups within one club so if you've got that holistic golf club if you will that's then separated down and you've certainly with you've you've got the people like you say the people who are stuck back there and very recently um since since i started in my role so the club hamburg always said the first tea time was seven o'clock but no one no one listened to that under the previous greenkeeping regime and previous management regimes so when i started i assumed the start seven o'clock meant seven o'clock and and it didn't and the guy who used to play at court past six got quite grumpy with me and the words he used to me were you know we didn't have any trouble before until you started bear in (laughs) mind we've made wonderful improvements on on the golf course and we've gone from Almost no grass on the greens, to 100% coverage. Blah blah blah. This is in the greenkeeping podcast, but I I still see, and I don't go in. the We're a very small club with a small clubhouse, and I don't spend much time in there, Crispin. But I still I I hear you hear the rumors, and I speak to I speak to the ladies, and I speak to the men, and whether people like it or not, there is still a massive divide in golf between male and female memberships and sadly it's my opinion that the majority of golf clubs are if you've got a membership of 500 the likely split is probably 400 men and 100 women if and that that would be a lot of women i would probably be inclined to say more 450 to 50 and then being a club and and being a democracy and lots of things get voted upon so it's Sometimes it's 450 against 50, and the 50 don't often get their way. And I I, I don't know – I don't want to get too deep into a golf course chat here, but I've got a few points in front of me. And, yeah, you've said it, it's a very slow process. Um, I'm of the opinion that I think it's going to continue to be a slow process because a lot of people, Crispin, in my opinion – actually don't want things to change. Um, I don't know what you think about that.
1: Um, yeah, you've got, there's, there will certainly always be an old guard, but that perhaps old guard that was in their mid-40s and mid-50s in the 1980s are now the guys that are in their 70s and 80s. Um, and younger people coming through will affect change because they've not never known perhaps any different. Having said that, there is something quite nice. I think someone used to say we' didn't like we don't use the word exclusive. We use the word prestigious and people like being part of something that they feel might be a bit prestigious. There's nothing you don't still people accept I don't go out on a golf course in jeans and a football shirt. Still I know how to dress in the clubhouse. I don't wear my hat in the clubhouse. So there are standards and I don't I think it's important that you don't confuse maintaining some standards with a snobbery of 40 years ago there are people still you know you go to a nice restaurant you don't wear jeans and a t-shirt so it's right that golf clubs maintain certain standards and a standard of dress out on the course but that shouldn't be confused with the that's not the same as the attitude from 40 years ago where it was exclusivity rather than being something um prestigious and it's about getting that balance right because people want to feel proud of their golf club they want the members to, to to um know abide by the rules and the dress code and and and, and behave, behave themselves um so yeah in answer to your question I, I, there's um there is the right kind of change going on um and some people still do hark for those older days perhaps but i think that's perhaps still reflected in having got keeping golf clubs prestigious rather than exclusive. the exclusive the guys that are in the 70s and 80s that were captains of the golf club in the you know in the 1970s and 80s still Perhaps are the guys that are at the forefront of of maintaining those standards, um, and it's right that they do so. And the younger people coming through will will, will follow those rather than say this is an exclusive club anymore. They they would still they will respect the standards that people are still re- requesting, and they, and they like they like being part of something prestigious or semi prestigious, um, yeah. but don't want it to feel exclusive. They don't want this thing you are a builder, you're not allowed to join us, regardless. If you see what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think probably what you're saying is, and I there is I I follow a lot of golf clubs on social media. So I see the ones who I think are making really positive strides. And social media is a very I guess from a business point of view, social media is potentially a risky place because you're only one Facebook post that could be maybe lighthearted or could be construed in the wrong. You're only one face one social media post away from being canceled potentially, not necessarily. So, but I see, I see golf clubs doing wonderful things on social media. What I, what I, I found and I found where I work, we are, we are located within, within yeah. the town. We we're on the border of Westgate and Birchington. We are, within walking distance of, of a lot of people. Um, we have an audience and we are open to the public f- to, for food and drinks and, uh, et cetera. Um, the balance that's what I've, what I've noticed that places do struggle with is when you have this dress code or expectation as a member, but then you want to encourage, me or you, Crispin, from the street to come in and enjoy a coffee. But I might stroll in with my cap on because the sun is out and I've got a bald head, so I'm wearing a hat, and I may not understand the golf club. And sometimes you might walk through and get barked at for having a hat on. Um, And people then get a probably an unfair opinion on golf clubs and we've discussed that already um i don't know it's 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 a fun fine balance and golf is booming at the moment everyone keeps telling us participation numbers are up but then a lot of places are struggling for an income and i don't know if this is i don't know if it's a fair question to ask you really but do you think crispin where do you where do you see golf at the moment from, from from a financial point? Because I know if we said £1,000 a year is an average membership at an average golf club, if you're paying, playing, if you have the luxury of playing three or four rounds of golf a year, you're actually getting very, very cheap exercise. It's, it's very cheap to do. Um, is... I think the question I'm trying to ask is, is golf a bit too cheap for its own good? And if golf clubs are struggling to actually make money, make profit, um, do they need to put their prices up to become sustainable, if
1: you will? Uh, it, yes, it's a very good question. As somebody who's not even a member of a golf club at the moment, and hasn't been for a little while, I'm not perhaps best placed to answer. Um, but if we consider that golf clubs have got multiple income streams, I can think of one local one that always, always, always had a really busy bar and did countless Sunday carveries and all that kind of thing. So they were, and they attracted lots and lots of golf societies. Yeah. Um, so you've got to maximize those other income streams, it seems to me, but of course, if you have too many golf societies on the course and the members get a bit annoyed about it, so you've got to be a bit, a strike a balance there. Um, you want your members spending money in the bar because I suspect somewhere in my book, I touched on the fact that for every member that puts 200 pounds a week on, there's one who at the end of the year is bar levy is still, he hasn't spent a penny of it. So we'll have half a dozen bottles of wine to take home for Christmas. You want, you want good members that are spending money in, 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 in the club. You want good societies coming along that don't, that don't take six hours to go around, but will have a good few beers and know that they'll be playing at 12 o'clock onwards. Um, yes, if you can have an active um, a bunch of people that aren't playing golf at all, but 100 of them will turn up for a carvery every single week, that's a huge money spinner. Um, uh, so, as I say, as someone who is not a member of a golf club and has never really been that involved in the finances, you certainly do need to be making the most of the facilities you've got. I mean, I've touched on weddings in my um, in my book there. If you can get bring some weddings in, that's a lot of people spending up a lot of money on booze. And of course, all these external people that aren't playing golf are bringing in income but not wearing out your golf course. Um, So in some, you know, you'll have seen them as some very, very um, um, business savvy golf clubs out there that that generate huge income streams. Um, But going back just to the green fees, there are those, uh, every golf club, I would say, who would more than happily say double the double the membership fees and half the number of members um, so you've got half the amount of wear and tear on the course all the members are happy because they can always get a tea time and the golf club's got um, the same amount of income from membership fees, you need then, if you then suddenly half the amount of members, you need those people to be spending money in the clubhouse
0: yeah. um,
1: but it's, it's an argument I've heard on more than one occasion, that golf clubs aren't expensive enough, um, and that works well for the people who can play five times a week and of course we're referencing seniors here really, and f- um, the guys who can only play on a Saturday because they've got families and businesses. I've always felt they lose out. Um, and the golf clubs are very lucky to have a, a lot of those guys. Um, the, 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 uh, one, one relatively recent place I was a member, you've probably got maybe 100, 150, 200 people that can only play on a Saturday. Yeah. Struggle, we'll struggle for a tee time, but will still pay their membership fee. And and recognise they might only get to play once a week. Maybe a couple of times if they've got a week off from work or whatever, and throughout the winter might not get played at all. Play, play at all, um, compared to the guys that pay exactly the same amount of money that can play five and six times a week and also go and play with seniors at other golf clubs as well. So there's real value for some people, and for those people, you could argue that they're paying too little. Um, they could, if they're of that baby boomer generation, they could probably pay considerably more. Um, and I do think that there has to be a consideration that, that people are paying exactly the same amount of money, but it's they don't have the same amount of um, availability to go and play golf and perhaps don't get as much money, uh, as much value out of a golf club as they should. But they know that when they sign up, they know when they're able to play. They'll say, well, it's fifty quid. It's costing me 40 quid a round, but I'm happy with that. Um, but yeah, there are and obviously the very exclusive golf clubs out there, the ones that are charging 10, 20, 30,000 pounds a year. People will pay that regardless. Just because it's that expensive, um, but for your average club out there but charging twelve hundred pounds a year for a lot of the members, yes, I think it's t- too cheap. Um, but they certainly need to be maximising, in my opinion, the you know the facilities they've got and getting that external business in. And, and from my experience, they're they're often very good at that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think but,
0: uh, yeah.
1: Go on, yes. Oh, on. I
0: was, was going to say, I, I like I say, I am I'm on the south coast, so I have got. You know, not far from me, you've got Royal Sinkports, Royal St George's and Prince's within six miles of each other. Very, very sort of different golf clubs. You've got Sinkports that is a, an exclusive members club. Um, then you've got Royal St George's that is, you know, host of multiple opens and exclusive members club. And then you've got Prince's that has a very strong membership, but also is a very strong Business encourages a lot of visitors and when you're there they want to you know they've invested heavily on a wonderfully large grass you know driving range so you can experience you you know that almost that exclusive feel high class golf but you can experience that as a visitor they're going to charge you 125 pounds for the tea time but you're going to get that good experience and hopefully you're going to come back so and I think I just think there's so many like you've touched on golf courses. They're generally on large bits of land. They generally have large car parks. They generally have room to host events. And some Absolutely. of these, some of these places that turn the lights on at eight o'clock in the morning and the lights off at three thirty in the afternoon, you just. If I had any hair, I'd be pulling it out thinking there is so. And then you get the letter or I I get the knock on the door saying perhaps hold off on that next load of sand. Or can you eke the diesel out a little bit longer? I don't mind. But I'm. you then turn around and think we are not maximizing what we have. We have a large area of land, a large amount of people. Anyway, let's I want to go back. We've been going on for a bit, Crispin. I want to go back to the book, Tales from Russet Grange. Um, If you don't mind, you said it took you a couple of years to write it and maybe interrupted a little bit by COVID. Um, Did you enjoy the experience? Did you get out of it what you hoped? And would you do it again? three questions there if you, you know. Yes, of
1: course, did I enjoy the experience? Yes, yes, very much. I particularly liked it because I know it sounds obvious, but you write for what you find funny. So of course, if I find I'm gonna write something that I find funny. So when I've looked at a chapter and I'm gonna read it back, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's quite a good line, and just edit that a little bit. Um so yes, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the fact that because I was just writing a chapter at a time, I could see progress and I could think, yeah, okay, that's 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 one done. We'll draw a line under that and we'll do our next chapter tomorrow or whenever I feel like it. Um, I certainly enjoyed it I knew that at worst I'd have written a book Um, I think um, and not many people do as you mentioned earlier so yes I've got a book it's got a book number it's it's registerable. it's at the libraries it's at the British libraries at the Scottish library I've I've got a book and they can't take that away from me it's not everyone's cup of tea but I wrote a book and most people um, don't do so but I think it was perhaps um, behind me I'm thinking this might be successful given the nature of no competition and um, the amount of golfers out there. I wasn't ever writing it to thinking this is gonna be successful. I wasn't ever thinking to myself, well, I'm gonna make a million here. I would have been, been happy if I'd sold 10 bucks. Um, but I was to an extent driven by the fact that it might sell based on what I've, I've said on that lack of competition i don't think if the, if there had been a, if i'd gone online four years ago and searched for fictional golf about uh, books about fictional golf clubs and found dozens of the things i wouldn't have even bothered starting right uh, so it was it was certainly the case that oh there's no competition out there we'll give this a go um, but it's very it, niche perhaps the right word but it is extremely lavish and as um as, as, uh, the, the guys at Cookie Jar Golf, they wrote about my book and they described it as, I think, a cross between men behaving badly and, some, and a 1990s lads mag or something. And it is, it's a lads mag of a golf book. And I would never say it's anything other than that. You know, it's not, it's not a tale of two cities. It's not any, anything written by Emily Bronte. It's just, it's just silly. And it is what it is, but I wrote it and it's my book and it, and it makes me smile. And I've had very good reaction from, um, People who've read it, I suspect people who've read it and not enjoyed it have just kept quiet, because, and they wouldn't want to say I didn't enjoy that. Well, fair be it, it's not for everyone. Um, but I've had a lot of good feedback, as you all have seen online, um, yeah. and which is you know it's been perfectly satisfying. So I wrote a book that people enjoyed, and it, you can't take it away from me. And and I'd say it's nice, you better do it all yourself because I I you know I designed the cover, I did all the layout. Um, no one's been paid to do anything. It's just me, this book. Um, and that's very satisfying i might send it to a publisher one day one or two we'll 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 see what comes of it i suspect no publisher will touch it but you never know
0: i think for me it's the sort of i i i am not i have no experience so this is just me thinking off the top of my head for me like you say it's going to it's it's going to appeal to a certain group of people and it's probably going to upset quite a, a a certain group of people but they don't have to for me i i it i see it almost two or three chapters coming you know coming out i don't know if there's the gulf magazine out there but i could just see tales from russet grange almost and i, I'm, I hope i'm not doing you a disservice here but i it's the sort of thing i would i would love to be flicking through Golf monthly as an example and oh it's you know page 70 it's tales from Russet grange and there's three more blooming chapters there to get stuck into <laughs> i i probably not gulf monthly because there'd be a lot of people who would disagree with it but i i mean i love love the book love what i've read i keep saying i am going to finish it it's i i you did explain it well not sitting on the toilet reading it but i i read i i've i'm 35 pages in and that's two sittings for me as such um right. half an hour before bed a couple of times um, i think it's wonderful and you i'd say this isn't going out as a video but we're talking on a video call this just go out as audio and i i'm looking at you Crispin. you you look very proud and you're 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 describing very proud and i think you should be really proud um but like I say, for me, being involved in golf for as long as I have, it just resonates so wonderfully well on on the on the quarter of the book that I've read. So um, I think what I'll do is I'll probably, Crispin, I will say thank you for being an amazing guest. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I always ask the guests if there's anything else they'd like to bring up, discuss or sell, if you will. I'll, I'll hand the, the mic over to you for a couple of minutes for as long as you like uh, and and if there's nothing else we'll call it a day but chris is there anything you'd like to touch on before we before we wrap the podcast up
1: um yeah i just say that the, quite a lot of the feedback i've got is that when people read the book what they'll realize is i've written a chapter but i've introduced new characters at the start of each chapter and Some people have said they've actually quite enjoyed the biographies of the of their characters as much as they've actually enjoyed the characters themselves because they think. And it was always my intention that people would pick up the book, and I'll pick a random page here. Um, and they'll find and it is Mandy Hobson, Lady's Treasure, and Nationality English. She's as interesting as Home Based Magnolia. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Adam the Hat Bob a uh, Geordie who, who's um. He's extreme he rarely wears long trousers or shirts a third generation bricklayer um worked his way down to the south to find his fortune um his dad was involved in organised crime all that kind of stuff the characters i enjoyed writing and once i'd written a character i could see how they'd flesh out in a in a chapter we got we got a guy that's a, a West Ham fan he's the he's a club handyman but he's also the captains of the captain of the seniors team and he's just he sees every senior's match as a war against the opposition. He could be um, my brother. Got Hammers Legends tattoos. <laughs> um, oh, it is my um, brother. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So, so yes, I think that i enjoyed writing the characters, and um, I've definitely had some very good feedback. I mean, there's every golf club, in my opinion, has got a, a, a guy who was on the um, on the balcony when the S.E.S. stormed the embassy. There's, uh, there's Pete Balcony McTory, is my guy. So every single golf club out there, there's someone claims they're on the balcony. There were uh, chucked a couple of flashbangs in on that day um but yeah the final thing i would finish off with is it is a large mag it is as you said earlier it would upset some people and it's not i don't want to upset people which is why it's, the cover notes are very clear every time i've ever said anything about it it's for lads you've got you've got to get the book you've got to think yeah that's totally silly it's nothing it's not serious and and my wife finds it funny my son's girlfriend found it funny there are plenty of ladies who've read it and have found it amusing but the last thing i would ever want to do is someone to pick up this book think it's some highly educated tome on the game of golf, and then read a few pages and be appalled. Um, it's not. It's not meant to be that, and I wouldn't want it to be that. Um, but yes, I've had very good feedback from the people who read it, and uh, it's great. It's great to talk to you and, and to have the opportunity to talk about it in what is probably my first marketing exercise, other than other than Twitter. So thanks for having me on, really.
0: Well, Crispin, I would say thank you for being a wonderful guest. I think me and you could probably sit and talk about golf and many yes. other things for hours to come. Um, we'll probably look at getting together again in the future and we'll put something together. But for this episode, um, Crispin Aldrin, author of Tales from Russet Grange, available at the website. And and what, what I'll do is we will put all, all Crispin's information. If you want to have a look at the book, it'll all be in the show notes for this podcast. Crispin Aldrin, thanks for being a wonderful guest on Henry Weston's Old Mate the Podcast.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me on.